Now tell me if you remember No telling if you remember I'll never forget I'll never forget Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. My guest today is Maria Farrell, and their pronouns are she, her. Maria, please introduce yourself to the audience. Hi, thanks a million, Kim. Um, I'm Maria Farrell. I'm an Irish writer based in London, and I've worked in tech and tech policy mostly for about 20 years. And in the last few years, I've really started um, mostly earning my living from writing and speaking. And um, and yeah, and the reason I came on the show today is because I wrote a piece called The Prodigal Tech Bro, which went pretty viral a couple of weeks back. All right. So we start this show as we always do. Can you please tell us why is it important to cause a scene and how are you causing a scene? Okay. Uh, I think it's important to cause a scene because causing a scene means shaking things up. It means disturbance and deviation. And I think that is essential because I think if you're sort of maintaining the status quo when the status quo is profoundly problematic, then, um, you know, then you're really not doing what you should be and you're kind of wasting, wasting your gifts, wasting what we're here for. So for me, causing a scene is about making change, making things better um, and not just kind of going along to get along. Um, how am I causing a scene? Um, I'm, I guess I'm causing a slight, slight, a mild scene, um, a mild mannered kind of quasi-European social democratic intellectual scene. Oh, wow, uh, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> by occasionally writing articles that make people go, hmm, yeah, you know, she's right. <laughs> so that's the kind of scene I'm causing, which is, um, no, I think the scene that I'm trying to cause is if you're a writer writing about stuff that is emerging and when you have a strong point of view of how things should be, then I think one of the things that you bring to the world is framing and naming. And so you're trying to give people a frame to think about things they sort of already can see and can kind of have a feeling, a gut feeling that they're not quite as they should be. And you're sort of trying to give a frame that says, hey, the reason you think this thing is problematic is actually because it fits here or we've seen one of these before or it fits a story that we're familiar with. So sort of the way I'm trying to cause a scene is to help people to, to see things that actually are a scene, which they might otherwise have just walked, walked on by. Okay, so I'm loving framing and naming because that is exactly what hashtag cause a scene is all about. It is all about um, helping people who have been blind and complicit in the harming of other people um, understand how and in ways that they don't eat can't even recognize because they don't have the perspective or the framing for it. So I love framing and naming. And I'm definitely all about naming stuff because I'm like, okay, let's, uh, let's get these definitions out. This is what we're going to call this. This thing is called this and this is how we're defining it now. So that everybody's on the same page. We can move forward. So I love the naming and framing. So um, I wanted to read the tweet that I saw from, and this is how Maria came on my radar. Um, the prodigal tech bro when former tech execs reinvent themselves as experts on fixing toxic tech they're given a fattened cow of attention and resources while at advocates uh, activists who didn't take the money are left um out of the party so tell us who when i saw this i was like this is this sits so nicely in in 
in a lot of the conversations. So um, I want you to name, frame and name this because I want in our time together to talk about the various ways that this happens, that people are just blind to. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, so frame, I mean, it's weird. So um, I'm going to get this out there. I go to church. So I am sort of, I'm not like a wildly deeply Christian person, but I'm definitely sort of a social democratic kind of liberation theology, lefty kind of a Christian person. And, um, and it's not really been a huge part of my life, but I have actually realized since the beginning of the year, so many of the stories that I use to think about how things are and how things, how they should be are actually Bible stories. And so kind of not even in an evangelical way, but it's just that I've been brought up in that tradition. And those are the stories that kind of come, you know, easily to hand. And also you realize that stories that come out of a religious tradition, they're trying to tell you something. Um, and they kind of have been around for a long time because there's a lot of wisdom in them. And so this one came out of obviously the prodigal son, which is, you know, a parable from the New Testament. Um, and it's basically, um, so, the, so the, whole, the whole point of it really was about, hey, I'm, it's Jesus kind of going around saying, I want to start up a new church. All of the good people are going to the established churches already. So I'm kind of going to hoover up all of, you know, scoop up all of the sinners and the reprobates and the, the people who don't fit in. And so his, the whole message there basically was, you can be the prodigal son. You can, you know, go off and, and throw everything away. But ultimately, uh, the father is going to welcome you home. And so it's a really powerful story if you're trying to start a religion. You know, if you're trying to scoop up loads of people and say, it's OK, you've done wrong, you can come back. Um, and so it's kind of the prodigal son is a story that is just a wash everywhere in our culture. And so we kind of almost without thinking of it, we kind of we just kind of go, oh, yeah, that's a prodigal son story. Um, somebody who has worked for, you know, surveillance capitalism for five, ten, whatever number of years and now has seen the light and now is coming home. And so that's a really powerful story. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of forgiveness. And it's a story of starting again. And we all want those kinds of stories to work because we all need those, you know, that redemption, redemption forgiveness, et cetera, in our lives. But the problem with this story of the prodigal tech bro um, is that a lot of these guys, and yes, it is all guys who have had that kind of conversion moment, perhaps are, um, you know, have decided that the companies that they worked for are doing wrong. And these guys are now going to be the people who are going to lead us the way to show us how, we can fix that. The really important part of the story of the prodigal son is actually lost. And that is a moment where the prodigal son has basically gone to live in a foreign land, gambled away all his inheritance, is literally living in a pigsty. And he wakes up one day and goes, oh my God, like my father's servants live better than I do. Um, I need to go home, tell him I'm so sorry and say, look, please, could you let me be one of your servants? Like, I can never kind of aspire to the heights, you know, the social status that I once had, the money I had, the love that I once expected. Um, but I can at least go home and, um, you know, be, be there. And that is the moment that we miss in these prodigal tech bro stories, because there's never a moment of the prodigal tech bro kind of, you know, this guy who presumes to tell us how to fix tech, who's worked in it for a long time. He never, there's never really a moment that says, guys, I fucked up. I mean, I fucked up big you know and I fucked up in ways that I know I can never fix and I know that I cannot expire to having the kind of social status um, that I had before I did this 
And I know that you don't owe me anything. I just want you to let me come home and be a servant in your house, basically. And so that's the bit of the story we're missing. And it's the really important part because that's the part of the story that allows that guy to have actually any status or any authority or credibility to tell us about what he has learned on the inside. You know, it's kind of, because if you don't have that bit of the story, and if we, as people who are listening to that story, don't expect it from this guy, then we're basically saying, you can cock up on your redemption arc. It can be this short and you can just re reinvent yourself. Because I think without that part of the story, we're basically saying redemption, where you redeem the bad that you've done and reinvention, where you just market yourself in a slightly different way, that there's the same thing. And of course, they're not. Okay, so you said a lot there. Um, and no, 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 no. That was great. That was absolutely great because it, 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 it. Um, and you, you brought up some things for me that, um, that are interesting. So yeah, we. This is when. Um, it wasn't until I really started unpacking oppression, white supremacy, racism, and all kinds of stuff that I really realized that um, a lot of the people before even they, they even get to the redemption story, a lot of the heroes, and I put air quotes, that we have been um, pushed towards to admire, um, the Richard Bransons, the Elon Musk, the Jeff Bezos, the all of these individuals are pretty fucking problematic <laughs> on so many levels. And then when I unpack, um, and it's always framed as this hero's journey, you know, they're going on this, you know, the, the um, um, Campbell's, Joseph Campbell's, you know, the, the, he said, Joseph Campbell said the hero's journey is in every language, every culture. And so it's always mm. framed as this hero's journey. There's a, um, a guy who um, is a absolute, um, is, is doing this right now. He's, he's the CEO of um, Lambda school, Austin, I don't know his damn last name, and I don't feel like looking it up right now, but he actually is, has, is crafting a narrative of him being um, um, voluntarily homeless, um, as if that's something to aspire to, and he actually wrote about it, and he, so he, for him, his, his hero's journey of building this multi-billion dollar company, which he wants to have, which is absolute shit, but that's a whole nother yeah. thing. Um, and it, no, it's not a whole nother thing because it speaks to tech bros who have absolutely no expertise in any of the things that they're doing, but because they're white tech bros, they get to have the resources and the amplification and all these things, and they get to continue to cause harm. And when you call it out online or whatever, they get to say, they get to do the preamble. Um, I didn't mean to do this. This was not the, da, da, da. I mean, it's like a script. They all have it. Um, and then they close that tweet and then they keep going on about their business. So they, it's not like they learn anything, not like they can, um, they can talk about what they learned, not like they can say, here are the lessons I want to share with the community. None of that stuff. It never happens. It's just like they get to fuck up and, and bumble from, from thing to thing to thing. So I see what you're saying about the prodigal son, even in that, even as they continue to go forward and fuck sh shit up on a regular, they get these prodigal son moments where when they get called out, they get to say, oh, my bad. Um, I didn't mean to cause harm and then go right back to doing what the hell they're doing. Um, so it, and, and that is just like this interesting thing that gets on my nerves. It also bothers, I see this a lot with 
um, people who are verified on these platforms, um, mm -hmm. who are verified in a technology. And then when they want to start talking about social issues, they come out with their privileged perspective, fuck everything up, get all sensitive and in their feelings, block everybody, go off for a few days, come back, give this mea culpa um, um, apology and still move on as after, and, and, and continuing to block people who have um, been lish, this is you. That's B-E-N-L-E-S-H. Yes, I'm gonna keep calling your sensitive ass out. Um, they, and they'll continue to block you, the people who challenge them when they get on these social platforms with these huge ass audiences and but yet they go back and make an apology to people who didn't even know what the fuck was going on. Um, it happens over and over again. But I do want to challenge you on one point because it's not just women. I mean, men. Yeah. I see it a lot in white women. And I, I, I look at, I'm looking at Sarah Sandberg. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cheryl Sandberg, sorry. I'm looking at um, Elizabeth Holmes is going to have her, her moment. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's going to be huge um, because she has so many privileged. I mean, she had Henry Kissinger as a board of the our directors. She has so much privilege and connections. And I can't, I was trying to Google and I can't think of the young woman's name, but the, the young woman who's now doing the, doing the um, apology tour. And I'm gonna help you fight this problem, the Cambridge Analytica chick. Oh, Brittany Kaiser, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm so pissed right now because there she's doing the same thing. Oh, I can help you solve this problem since I created it and I'm making, I'm sure she's making millions of dollars being the expert on this thing that you caused and now you got caught. So now you get to be the hero in this. So it's like every, and so that, the reason I brought that up because what I wrote down is you said um, on a what. A wash everywhere in our culture. And I wrote, not for everybody. Everybody doesn't get this. No, everybody does not get forgiven. You know, everybody yes. does not get to assume forgiveness. And most people, mo people in my community are never, are, are seldom, I won't use absolutes, are seldom given the benefit of the doubt or uh, the, the assumption of good is, is seldom there, as we see um, with how we are harmed in so many ways. And this is. The, the, that's why I run the kind because I want to break down what this is. Um, I want people to understand, like I, I look at Elon Musk. I used to admire him because he was such a genius and he used to, but when I look at his background, how many damn privileges did you have, dude? You literally grew up in apartheid South Africa where you really had, you couldn't compete with people of color. <laughs> no. And you had every advantage. Every one of them. Well, like, you know, I mean, obviously I'm a white woman and I live in, you know, I grew up in a remarkably white country. Ireland is a lot less white now than it is when I was growing up and I live in London. But like, I remember going home, you know, for a few years after I'd emigrated and lived in London and I would get on the plane and go fly to Ireland thinking, oh my God, everyone's got a really Irish accent. And then I would go up and down our main shopping street. And finally, because I'd lived somewhere else, I would kind of walk around and go, it's so white. <laughs> <laughs> and before I couldn't see it. So like, you know, but like, we're all on a journey and, and you know, it's, it's my job to feel up from, for, for my own journey, not to be pulling it out of other people. But I will say this, like when you look at the forgiveness and the like, the world that is so welcoming with loving our arms, the guys that the white guys, the white savior guys, which we're supposed to, on the one hand, aspire to and identify with in some weird way, but on the other, it's clear that we can never actually be them. Exactly. Oh, it's such a mind fuck. It oh. is such a mind fuck because this is what it does. So it, it, this whole thing 
has you aspire to something you can never be, which we never internalize as there's a problem with the system. What we do is internalize then there's a problem with me. Because I've tried all these things. I've read all these books. I've done all these things. I'm done. And no one ever talks about the privileges in the networks and systems that were leveraged for these individuals to do these things that you as an individual do not have access to, <laughs> you know? And so, and I see this so much in tech when, oh my God, I see this so much in tech with people like, we don't need diversity and inclusion. This is a meritocracy. It's like, oh my fucking God. Where are, can we, where, meritocracy where? Well, like where, like, right. So in a world where, you know, like I just, just from watching the news, but like small black children are taken out of primary school for having a tantrum and put in the back of a police car. They're criminalized for being children where, you know, that's on the one hand and we're, and then on the other hand, you know, guys can cock up so much white, white hero guys, so much. We want, we, for some function of, we want them to succeed. So like, there's all of the forgiveness is there for them. And I just feel that they don't even, in this kind of, some of the ones I've been thinking about, just don't even have the, um, what, like the uh, humility to say, oh, I'm really sorry. Like, you know. Oh, no, because, okay, so this is, let me explain to you why that is. One of the reasons why that is, is because whiteness is never evaluated. It's the default. Since whiteness is the default and never evaluated, and whiteness gets to be an individual and everybody else is a group. So these individuals have been taught that they're special, that everything they do is because of the things that they do, not because they call dad and God. I mean, you see it in Trump. You see it in Jared Kushner. They are where they are because of people who've given them things. And yet, in, 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 in the space of whiteness, and again, let me, has a caveat, Yes, I understand that Jerry Kushner is a Jew, but he's a white passing Jew and he lives as, as a white person. So let's have that conversation. Let me just go on and get that out of the way because somebody's going to say, I erased his Jewish, um, his Jewish. And it's no, I didn't. He's living very well off his whiteness. And so um, what happens is they, um, white, since whiteness is always, is always a thing that we aspire to be, everybody aspires to be the white thing. Um, it never sees itself as, 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 as problematic. It never sees it. And, and again, when we're looking at Trump, Trump, everything good he, he ascribes to himself, everything bad is somebody else's fault. And this is how whiteness is done because whiteness is always framed. Come on, framing and naming. This is a famous thing that I say. Whiteness is always cast as the victim or hero, never the villain. Think of all your Westerns. It's never a villain. So it can always spin a story like the Cambridge Analytical chick. She is a fucking villain, but she can always spin the story that now she's a, she's a victim and now she's going to be a hero to save everybody else. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, and also the white people, are, it, they're never also like always amazing or terrible. Never just like a big crap and getting along, you know, yes, kind of big yes. push. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> always like they worked and they told in their, in their garage and then there's a blank space and then all of a sudden there are these billionaires. You know, it's like this. <laughs> well, because it's like the whole thing, Elizabeth whole thing, Holmes thing, the Theranos, you know, scandal, which was like wildly obvious that there was something very, very dumb there. The <laughs> science did not work. You know, it was a pyramid scheme. But like, it was because she is this kind of, you know, pretty 
at the time of the investments was a pretty 20 something white girl who, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. who would wear her like black turtleneck sweaters, you know, taking this Steve Jobs thing and, and kind of, they wanted it so much to be true. You know, yes. like poured yes. all of their desire for the yes. fantastic young, you know, white girl to be the girl that was, I, I don't know, we just, so like, so I guess then, okay, we've got all of this stuff going on where we've got all of these kind of latent beliefs and desires kind of going on in our culture and society. And then you get people who are part grifter, part opportunist, part <laughs> genuinely believe their own press. Who are yes, like, yes. It, you know, I yes. my hat's off with like, wow, like you have brass bloody balls. Everyone in the hashtag call the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag causeascene.com. Wow, like you have brass bloody balls. Yes! I really wish that I had that level of confidence. You know what I'm saying? But life has kicked me in the teeth far too much for me to say, hey, I'm just going to go ass out. I'm just going to go ass out here. You know what? Because I know that there's a safety net for me to fall in. No, I don't have, I don't even know what that even fucking think. I don't even know what that, that, I can't even wrap my head around to even have that thought and have it go to a conclusion that would make me feel empowered um, um, and, and wealthy on the other end of that. I, I don't even know what that, fit, what that, how even I could even wrap my brain to even have that conversation with myself, let alone somebody else. Yeah. Like, and that's like, it's a fundamental fact of understanding of the world. Like, it's, it's not that you're, you know, miss, like not comprehending how stuff works. You are. Like, people are not going to give you as much of, you know, a, a free pass. And that, that. And that is the pushback we're getting in tech right now. Not from the, the big prodigal sons, but the, like I said, the Ben Lashes and, and all these other individuals, um, Lesh, that's his last name, um, all these individuals is because for the first time, even on their microscopic scale, they're getting pushback. They're being told that who you are um, in this space is problematic and that you need to change and they don't have the skills, they don't have the temperament, they don't have any of that because they've never been challenged in this way. Yeah, it's an entirely novel experience. And it is funny, a lot of my kind of dealing kind of in advocacy terms and lobbying and doing human rightsy stuff, when you come across, you know, or on a panel or whatever with, with your Google or, you know, the Facebook and um, those kind of companies, they are remarkably thin-skinned. Like they really yes. find um, the, the criticism incredibly personally and professionally difficult to deal with. And I've never actually experienced it because, you know, it kind of worked for a lot of different lobbying kind of organizations along the way, like trade associations for business and that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've had plenty like dealt with, say, for example, trademark lobbyists who are you know, hardcore, mm-hmm. difficult people, like, you know, profoundly to my mind, problematic takes on the world, but you can absolutely go hammer and fucking tongs with these people, mm-hmm. like in a meeting, go for them politically. And at the end of the day, you walk off the podium 
and you shake hands and one of those guys is probably going to, or women indeed, because actually it's, it's reasonably gender diverse, not racially diverse part of mm-hmm. the law. And they'll probably say, Ooh, let's go for beer. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, you know, the, the big tech lobbyists, you, they're just like, when you get off the panel with them, they're just like, I don't want to see you. I don't mm-hmm. want to know you. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and also it's, but like, I don't mind because obviously I've grown up, but it's, it's curious to see they are genuinely hurt because they're not used to criticism. And I think that's because those big tech companies have been, you know, such heroes for so long. And it's really hard for them to deal with the fact that now they are basically like the tobacco lobby. Like that's where. Yes. Yeah. But also it's them personally. Again, it's their, they, they take their roles personally. To me, this is a job. This is what I, this is not who I am. It's, it's, it's not, it's, it's an extension. I love what I do, but I am a total whole person, a black woman of my own. And I, I could see myself being totally more sensitive than they are because it's everything I do is me. They're working for somebody else. It's not like there is, they are, they have a job to lobby for another company, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of this thick skin and you see it, you see it online when, when um, there's criticism and then they go to, uh, like, why is Jack from Twitter getting advice from Elon Musk about how to run his platform? You know, there are people on that platform every day telling you what the hell the problem is. But you want to go to this other privileged asshole who says the most who's now on your platform. I know this episode is going to um, going to air in April, but we'll still be dealing with this shit. Who's now a presently on your platform giving misinformation, disinformation about the Corona fucking virus. But um, this is the person you reached out to for um, advice on how to make your platform safe for marginalized people. Come on, dude. (laughs) No, and that's because, I mean, so he is a peer reaching out to his peer. Like Mm -hmm. there, you know, I think people really, because of the whole, um, you know, your friendly tech bro um, sort of persona, I think people feel in some sense that the Mark Zuckerbergs, you know, are, are Jack Dorsey's of this world are somehow their comrades in arms because they're sort of the same age or they, they might've had the same kind of, you know, like degree or not degree. Do you know what I mean? Like they mm-hmm. feel that these are kind of their peers, like just users of the platform. And we're not like we yeah. are the daughter, you know, they are not are like they live there. We're the product. <laughs> we're the product. Definitely. But also when they, you know, when they have problems that they want to solve or questions that they're kind of curious, they don't go to, normal people to normies they go to other wildly rich people so you know and that's is, so fu- that's it's, so it's interesting because if since they do mine our all of our fucking data hmm. t- twitter could literally now i don't spend much time on facebook outside of family and friends so i don't know what you know that's just a, a whole nother thing but twitter has access to the top fucking experts in every field at their hand. All they could do is do some kind of data search to find out who the best people on their current platform are, who are experts and researchers in these shits. And, but they don't think about that. You know, you have those people right there. You don't have to search for them other than, uh, than a look at hand, you know, whatever that look at, search what they're talking about, look keywords, and you can find the best people already on your platform talking about these things. And yet you go to the person who you go have a beer with to solve problems they have. It's like, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, we all, we all kind of, when we've got questions, we ask people that we think have stuff in common with us. But I feel that if you are running a global platform, 
that has the future of democracy in its hands, that you probably have a better. Well, see, you know, see maybe, maybe, I, maybe I'm different. Maybe marginalized groups are different. I'm just going to say this because if I have a question, I'm not going to go to my damn friends. My friends don't fucking know either. So I'm not going to go to my huh? friends. I'm going to go to, I'm going to start looking at books or Twitter or using whatever and finding experts because they're there now. I don't have to go to the encyclopedia. I don't have to go to the library. I'm going to look for the people who are when I every time I'm learning something, I go to the people now because we have access to the Internet, the people who are experts. I don't go to my friends. My friends don't have a cult or just learning how to use pronouns. So yeah. I'm not going to go to my friends for this sh- for anything. I'm, I'm not. That's not that's not. And, and, and they're and it's OK. I'm not, that's not what their role is. They're not there for that kind of support. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, um, I take your points, actually. I suppose it goes to the broader point of also, you know, a lot of the tech platforms have kind of, you know, disintermediated to use their, you know, favorite term, authority and credibility um, and sources, you know, that we can rely on. So, you know, they kind of undercut journalism and, you know, the faith in institutions um, and, you know, science and, you know, anti-vax and all of that. Like that's kind of all happened, not just on their watch, but like by the action and working of their business model. And so... I think the kind of the faux naive take of, ooh, this is all really difficult, guys. I don't know. Do you think we should stop taking political ads on our platform in this year in the, in the United States? No, you know, it's important for our revenues and, and plus it's speech, you know? So it's this kind of faux naive take. And, and, and whiteness gets to do that though, because it gets to be hero or victim and no yeah. one else gets to do And so when I frame it that way, people are like, oh shit. I see this everywhere. Yes, it is every freaking where because um, j- just the, the the all right like right now Facebook is saying the whole coronavirus thing is is being also illuminating so much. Um, the fact that t- um, Twitter's verified process has always been a bullshit popularity thing and yeah. now they're trying to figure out how to verify coronavirus experts because everybody and their mom who has a flu or think they have is now spouting information but then that's another problem because once these people get these blue checks for coronavirus after this whole thing passes they'll continue to have the blue checks and then who knows what they'll start spouting about in the future that has nothing to do with coronavirus but now they have a blue check so now they're verified so there needs to be verification in domains this person is verified in this shit and this shit only and then when you look at facebook oh now i can i can really zuckerberg i can now tamper down tap down on disinformation because coronavirus is different than political ads it's more black and white. So now, no, no, you see a risk management issue right here. You see that your platform is facilitating yeah. misinformation and people are going to be killed. And your ass, again, doing the prodigal son shit, don't want to be held liable for that shit. Dude, I'm not, ain't nobody falling for this mess. <laughs> no, you would think so. But do you remember the hearings that Mark Zuckerberg did, the congressional hearings? Okay, well, um, that's a whole different. And Lord, can we get somebody under damn 60 on that damn, on those panels could ask these people some questions that, Hell, I mean, when you have people who don't even know how the internet works asking these questions, that's yeah. a problem. <laughs> it was people. I'm like, it was always so obvious that they had, you know, good people working in their offices that would give the, the Congress people would give, they would ask a really good first question. Then Zuckerberg would go, waffle, 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 waffle. Yep. You know, I'll get back to you on that. And um, uh, Congressman, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that whole thing. And, and then... There would be no follow-up question because, because they didn't. Yeah. 
they didn't understand what had just happened. So, you know, talk about I like like bamboozle right in front of your face. Oh my god, people were like put, tearing their hair out all around the world, going, "Please yes. ask them a follow up question." Yes. This was such nonsense. But anyway, yes. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like, I just think there's so much more to be done in terms of um, ah, just you know, using storytelling to like. There's this whole thing in um. Uh, writing because I write fiction as well, and there's this whole thing where novels are supposed novels are supposed to do a thing which is called defamiliarization, and it's it's a thing. It's um it's basically making what looks what we think think is completely normal, making it look weird because it is weird. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's basically about and mm-hmm. um, there's there's a, a British thinker called John Berger uh, who died a couple of years ago. God rest him. But um he just had a thing about what was it called um, demystification. And to demystify something is to just make obvious what was hidden, what you couldn't see. Mm -hmm. And that is my job. I find that that's the work that I do. And that's why I call out so much stuff. I'll do a, this is, I'll see something and I'll, um, I'll retweet and with the comment, this is what white supremacy looks like. Because folks think white supremacy is Nazi swastikas and burning crosses and not all these systems and things that in place that are pu- being pulled by certain people to allow them to, um, to, to do and say and be in this world as they are while harming other people. That is the work that I do. I, it is my damn job. This is my life's work to just say, Nope, that's not what that looks like. Let's let's dig into that. Let, I see what that is on the surface. Let's can we go below the surface? Because underneath it's some ugly shit up under that. Let's dig into ugly that. and like you know, lots of people have it, and and you know, everybody's having to work on themselves. But like, just the whole notion that you can't be racist unless you were t- intending to be racist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. just kind of those my mind. Well, and and so I get I get around that because based on I use the sociology. Um, I don't use the Webster's dictionary, and I love how people like to talk about are so excited when when the Webster's adds ten new words a year to the dictionary. But when we say that the dictionary definition of racism is not adequate, no, 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 that's in the dictionary. It's like whoa, whoa, whoa! But the dictionary changes every year. But no, 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 not that one, not that one. That's going to stay the same. So I use the sociology definition, and 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 people get pissed off, but it allows me to get, because again, I see my community as a classroom. I'm an educator. Classroom, I have their very clear boundaries so that people understand what the rules are and people stay safe. My boundary out the door is all whiteness is racist by design and cannot be trusted by default without consistent anti-racist behavior. So that it's not, people are like, oh, you hate white people. No, no, no. So I say whiteness. I'm talking about whiteness. You talk about blackness. You've been talking about blackness for centuries. You had no problem talking about your black friend. Why, when I put the word white, all of a sudden you're fr- you're uh, you're you're offended. What, yeah. what what what? Because whiteness is yeah. never examined. So when I start there, I don't even have those conversations because this is the this is the bare. If you can't meet me here with this understanding, because it also it talks about why so people like me have internalized white supremacy and anti-blackness because the system has designed us to hate ourselves, hate people who look like us hate people who are darker than us. The whole system, no one escapes white supremacy unharmed. No one. So we put that there. It's not about me hating you. It's about, I have a lived experience that you don't understand, which will inform your, which will help you open your blinders to how everyone else is living. Because it's been so, so 
for many people, 2016 was the first time in the United States they realized that there was actually um, racism. After, so they saw the killing of Trevon Martin. They saw all these things, but they never put it together as a part of this, uh, 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 a symptom of the same system. It's always this thing over here, this thing over there. And it's only when I say no, A is connected to B, which caused Z, <laughs> that we can actually have a conversation where people are starting to say, oh shit, there's so much I didn't know. And that was by design. Hell, I didn't know this stuff. I, and so when we talk about aspiring to be something you never can be, Oh my God, if that has not been a mind fuck for me, yeah. for so many, yeah. just to think about trying to aspire to be something that I could never actually, there's no way the, the, the baseline, the default is whiteness. There's no way in hell I could be white, but everything about this system that says that everything about me, which is mine, my looks, my hair, my voice, my family is evil, is wrong, is dirty. That is such a mind fuck. Yeah. Well, like, and so... I just, it makes me feel like that once you, like once the scales fall from your eyes in a way and you see it as it is, I mean, it's not just a mind fuck, but then you kind of realize that every, well, I, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but like that everything you can ever do in your life has to be part of dismantling it or rooting around it or, but always dealing with it, like never have of not dealing with it. And that is why I say without consistent demonstrated behavior, because it is, it is, it is white people, people of color, black people, people with disabilities, people in the LGBTQA community, plus community, all actively thinking about processing our behaviors, our words, our thoughts, all of that, and figuring out who's the most vulnerable in this situation? How are my actions and words potentially of harm to them? And I won't do that. I don't want to be complicit in their harming. So what I'm going to do is figure out who's the most vulnerable in this situation and cater to that individual safety because if that individual is safe then everybody else is safe yeah yeah exactly if we're if we've got a way of thinking and walking and talking that looks after the least safe person in the room then okay we're gonna yeah and so that's the thing coming i can always bring it full circle that's the thing about the prodigal white tech bro that is problematic that is the piece that's missing when you talk about they have no contrition or whatever they never stop to think about the most vulnerable it is always how do i frame this from my redemption story how do I profit off my redemption story? How do I do? And if they actually, as you said, were, were, were um, contrite, were, were, you know, didn't want it to cause harm again, they would immediately, this is how I caused harm. This is um, what I learned from, this, from causing harm. This is where, how I will no longer cause harm. And I will focus my efforts on amplifying those people who know what the hell that I didn't know. Exactly. So that I don't make this mistake again. Yeah. They would decenter themselves and they have no idea how to do that. They have no idea how not to make themselves a central of, of everything. Exactly. And like, and that is fundamentally the thing that is wrong with this story. Cause as it goes into the third act of like, and now, you know, I will tell you how to, you know, make Google slightly less bad without ever actually dismantling surveillance capitalism, you know, this kind of sensible centrist, nice kind of middle-aged, you know, medium politically white guy kind of narrative but it's always about like that guy or indeed that white woman or whoever is part of always the hero of the next bit of the story and that's that is the wrong story like that is not a fucking story 
I'm now ready to articulate and to publicly share my need to shift from causing the scene. Currently this work, this push for equity, for minimizing harm, and for prioritizing the most vulnerable is collectively viewed by many as noise, bullying, troublemaking, as contrarian for controversy's sake, rather than what it is, a necessary evolution for the overall health and well-being of those who work for us, partner with us, buy from us, invest in us, and society as a whole. My focus from this day forward is to forge a path to welcoming and psychological safety in systems, institutions, and policies at scale because I will no longer put new wine into old wineskins. My team and I will be spending the next few months making the necessary changes to ensure that my new commitment to doing the proactive work of leading a movement framed by the guiding principles and seen through an anti-racist lens strategically happens with a relaunch on Juneteenth. To be kept informed of our progress, please follow me on Twitter at K-I-M-C-R-A-Y-T-O-N-1, Kim Creighton 1, and on our new Kim Creighton's Community Cafe Discord server. When I started Hashtag Cause a Scene in 2019, it was out of my frustration that no one was listening. Now that you're listening, it's time to get to work. Thank you for the years of support, and I'll meet you on the other side. Have a wonderful day. That is the wrong story. Like, that is not a fucking story. That, you know, the fucking story is who did you harm and how are you? Harm. And let's yeah. hear that story. Yeah. That story is always kind of pushed off as like, mm-hmm. oh, it's okay what we're going to do right now. Mm-hmm. No, you've got to put that story in the middle and then yes. you can kind of think about it. I have so many um, reporters reaching out to me lately about, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of income sharing agreements, ISAs with these boot camps. And it's, it's this new grift <laughs> of, um, of um, funding education in tech. So um, you can go to a boot camp and you pay later based on your income. There are these percentages bullshit, but no one, but yeah. it's, and so um, you have these, so this is the, the, um, the Lambda story, the um, Holburton story, the, the, um, the, um, what's the other one that, um, that's in New York, um, uh, Pursuit. These are people who actually come on my, sh- have come on my show as anonymous to, to talk about how bad these, these boot camps are. Now, so it, it, this is what happens. So they're, they're all run by these white guys who have no, no experience in education, no experience in adult learning, no expertise in, 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 in um, anything other than coding and, or, or um, just are looking for a business model. They are, they are the quintessential. They always get to be serial entrepreneurs, right? So these serial entrepreneurs, because there's, they, can, they can craft the narrative um, of, you know, college education is too expensive. We have debt. There's no need for it. And, and so they get you on some of that truth. And this is how Zuckerberg and, and Twitter and, and Jack and all that get you, because there's some truth to what they're saying. There's some, there's some, there's some grains of truth, but people don't want to go below the surface. So you sit on the grain of truth. So you have people who are like, yeah, we need a new model for, for educating. And so people are looking at, hey, this makes sense. I don't pay. Um, you don't pay. You go to school. You don't pay until you get a job that's at certain some certain amount, and then you start paying some certain percentage. 
But it's not a loan. No, it is this income sharing agreement thing. Mm -hmm. So what's happening is you're getting stories coming back from people who are saying how problematic this is. And now people are now asking questions. When three years ago, as an educator, I'm looking at the curriculums of this school and I'm like, this is bullshit. This, these schools have nothing in place for adult learners. They don't know how to write curriculum, all this. So now, because you didn't ask about actually were they qualified to do education, what they sold you on was these ISAs, this new funding model. And you, so now you're putting, and now they're targeting vulnerable communities. You're saddling people who have absolutely no opportunity to pay back fifty, sixty thousand dollars Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And yet you want to pivot and make yourself the hero in the story? Like just, it's like, come, I, I, so, so like I was saying, so all these, um, so I've been talking about this for months now. I've been doing shows about it. So I'm getting these reporters reaching out to me and I start every story with, you're telling the wrong story. But, so I'm going to stop you. If you only have 30 minutes, we're going we're gonna to talk about this. And whether you put me in your story or not, it doesn't matter because you're telling the wrong story. You're focusing on the ISAs, which senders these white folks. You need to be focusing on the people they're harming who are trying to get into tech. That's who you need to be focusing on. That's the story. Yeah. And wh- how do they react? Do they... Who, the like, reporters? Yeah. Um, they are enlightened because, again, they don't know what they don't know. It takes, it's, it takes me to... Again, I'm an educator to my heart. I'm going to break you down because I can't talk about... Z, uh, I can't talk about, you know... It, D until I talk about A, B, and C. That's not how shit works. But yet we want to get to the, no, 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 no. The backstory matters. The history matters. And so there's this one person who reached out to me and he's actually writing the story from the beginning that is going to center the, um, the, 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 the people who are harmed in this. He wants to tell the human side of the story. Because what's happening is everybody else wants to tell the ISA side of the story. And then they get to the end of their story and they hear the name Kim Crayton or they come across my podcast and then they want to slap this in. No, no, no. You ain't going to do that to me. You ain't about to slap my shit in there. We're going to talk about why this is a problem. And it's a bigger problem than ISS because as so two of these companies, Lambda and Holberton, Holberton, for... (laughs) You know that the business model is these financial derivative. Oh, also, they're bundling up and selling these things to investors. Yeah. Uh huh. So yeah. So you know that that's the fine. That's the business model, not education, because both of them have been asked to cease and desist operations in California because they never apply appropriately for educational purpose as an educational institution. I would think if your business model was an educational institution, that would have been first on your to do list. Apply with the um. Um, with the appropriate um, agencies in the state that I'm in, that I'm registered in. Yeah. Wow. It's a complete grift, basically. Like, oh, my. Oh. And I would not have a problem with this if the curriculums, if they knew, if, see, that, that's my whole, it's like people want to talk about the ISAs. You just slap a predatory, and, and I, I call it, it's like predatory, the mortgage yeah. thing. You just slapped a predatory bullshit the um, financial instrument on top of a shitty um, curriculum, shitty process. So there is no way in hell that these people will ever get the jobs that they want because they'll never be qualified because of your system. So that is just like problematic for me. No one else sees the fact that these schools suck. <laughs> yeah. Well, also I'm amazed. Like, 
I, I mean, not a lawyer, but like, what do the contract, what, how can somebody? Oh, they're, they're iterating these contracts. Oh, every, every new cohort, they, they learn and they're iterating. They're, they're asking now when the, um, so the earlier people are able, many of them are able or starting able to get out of these contracts because they weren't um, the holes in them. But now they're getting tougher. They're actually, you could, so you could drop, so they have a grace, many of them have grace periods. So and there and the grace period is that basic stuff that people wouldn't they're saying they didn't realize that there was a problem to after the base the grace period because the stuff is so easy in the beginning. So they think, oh yeah, I got this, I got this. And then after the 30-day grace period, whatever it is, things get the get harder and it's, then they start to realize that hey, this whole school thing is is not working right for me. So either they stay in because they've already now committed to giving these people so much money, or they drop out and go back to their lives. And yet, um, many, they're, they're, they have agreed to now, many of them have agreed to allow these companies to access their tax returns. Oh, God. Oh, my God. So if they feel, realize that they are making a certain threshold, yeah. yep, then the ISA kicks in. Oh my God, that's that's appalling. Yeah, and those people are the heroes of our industry. These so again, like it's because we have this completely false narrative of you know obviously the white savior thing, but also the simple solutions to complex problems um, thing. I'm so sick of looking for fun. I have a, we have actually a hashtag called the scene shirt says stop looking for simple um, stop looking for simple solutions to complex problems. Oh my god! Oh <laughs> yes. my god! We're so on the same. Yeah, it's like I left so education as a as a profession because the field is so broken and there's no incentive to fix it because people are profiting off the, the it being broken. And this is what I walk into tech and see. <gasps> oh god, that's brutal. Yeah, the um. And so much it, it, it is allowed to happen because these people are able to tell a story that other people want to hear. And they're able to, um, and, and so VC money is being thrown at it left and right. Oh my word, there's VC money being thrown at this left and right because it allows you to be, um, to be altruistic while you're making money. I'm funding, edu- I'm building a new education model. No, you're not. No, your school sucks. Yeah, you're basically Liberty University, but like without even, you know. It, and that's what, what they're now. That's that's what they're the school, the the states that they're in are looking at them at as that. Like Halberton was is totally de- um was told to stop because they actually um, lied on their application about the ISAs. I mean, so they're being duplicitous in the yeah. whole thing. So they know what they're doing. Yeah, of course. Almost definitely. Yeah, of course they do. See, the fact that you even I said know, that know, right? gives them the benefit yeah. of the doubt that they didn't even know. Oh, my God. Could they not know? Yeah. If like I said, if you're a fucking edu- if I'm opening a school, I'm opening a school as an educator. I go to my local community who has schools and say, hey, what do I need to do to open a school? Yeah. <laughs> but again, it comes out, you know, of a society that basically it may not say it out loud, but it fundamentally thinks, yeah, this isn't a great solution, but it's good enough for those people, you know. Like yes. In the UK. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is why Austin gets to get to promote himself as being voluntarily homeless because that every, home being homeless is the story we want to tell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's just sounds, that's that's just fancy. It sounds a little bit obscene to be honest. Kind of going as a tourist to a favela, you know, kind of doing a bit of poverty tourism. Like yes, 
Exactly. Po- poverty is chic until it's not, until it's actually, if in lungs, not you actually living in poverty because you know, they hate, we hate the poor. So uh, as long as we can simulate poverty <laughs> in, in, in service yeah. to our goal of being a great entrepreneur. Oh my goodness. Wow. This, tell that story. <laughs> tell that story. That's the, that's a fiction book. Let's, let's oh write my, that story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. You know, let's oh write god. that story. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, you just so so. I usually don't have um, fiction writers on here, but you just popped in my head. I'm like doing a story of of the the hero's the hero's journey, but telling it from a realistic how when how everything just falls apart, and they just never get there because oh, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't a hero's yeah. journey in the beginning. It was your fucking ego. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, actually, I read a lot of science fiction and there's some like I've read a couple of books recently that have been quite good about um, just how political change happens in a way that is not the hero's journey. Um, there's one great one. Uh, it's by um, a, a science fiction writer called Kim mm-hmm. Stanley Robinson. And he writes kind of about climate change and uh, financial instruments and how can we like if we don't figure out, you know, how to do climate change now, then in, in a century's time, what's it going to be like? Well, people then figure it out when New York is basically flooded like Venice. And he's just got this incredible novel. It's called it's New York 2140. And it's New York in 2140. And it's one apartment building that's kind of built um, in the sea. Effectively, all the apart- like the whole thing is flooded, lower Manhattan, and they all kind of, kind of canoe around between. And it's basically New York... As if, um, so there's there's a couple of financial traders um, that live in the building. There's somebody who works for city council. There's, I don't know, maybe there's an engineer. And there are two little kids who are homeless kids who kind of live under the building. And for about two thirds of this book, you think, oh my God, all of the people who need to fix capitalism are mm-hmm. in this building and they're going to do it. And it's going to be amazing. And it's it's a great story. Like there's... Um, an airship with uh, polar bears kind of going up and down inside it. So it's got all of these wild things happening. And then you kind of get to the end of the story and capitalism and the form of capitalism that kind of, you know, drove climate change has more or less been turned around. But it wasn't because the programmers were able to fix the algorithms and it wasn't because the lady on city council happened to have a meeting with the right guy in Washington at the right time or whatever. He's kind of subverts the whole thing. And by the time you get to the end of the book, you realise... All of these people were running around, spinning their wheels. They did a little bit, but actually the world happened off stage because everybody else staged a bank strike <laughs> in America and in the whole world. And it's basically, it's this amazing romp of a book that basically says, um, guys, structural mm-hmm. change is structural. And mm-hmm. it's a lot of people. And it's not about protagonists and it's not about heroes' journeys. And those things are great and they're entertaining. And everybody's got to do mm-hmm. what's in their power to do. But fundamentally, change happens and when that, everybody oh, gets together and does it. And this is why I say we get there together or we don't at all. This is, it's like, and, and people are like, oh, you hate white. No, I don't hate white people. I need white people to wake up so we can get here together because white people are asleep <laughs> at the wheel. And, 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 and it's only, unfortunately, um, that wh- when whiteness um, experiences enough pain, and we're starting to see that with coronavirus, they're now being inconvenienced in ways that whiteness has never been inconvenienced. They're now being put upon in ways that whiteness has never been put upon. And um, now people are waking up and realizing, oh, shit, there's something going on. 
they're still not realizing that the house is on fire. Um, and unfortunately, yeah. um, that will mean that they are will have to endure more pain. And the, the most unfortunate part about that is when white supremacy is in pain, it retaliates and then the most vulnerable are more harmed. So I tell individuals, if you want to do this work as a white person, you not only need to challenge and work to dismantle white supremacy, but you need to be actively looking for ways to minimize harm to those most vulnerable who do not have the privilege um, who will be harmed because that's the way the system is set up. We are, we are designed to be the, to be the collateral damage of any system that's out there. And unless uh, um, whiteness can effectively speak to me about not only the way in which they are, um, you know, dismantling and fighting the system, but also focusing on the most vulnerable, I, I have no belief in that you're gonna do anything impactful um, because you will cause harm whether you want to or not. And one of the, one of the um, guiding principles of our community has to um, call the same community is intention without strategy is chaos. Huh. Yeah. And also like people who, you know, there are a lot of people involved in politics who get involved because they think ideas are more important than people. And I don't even want to talk about that's a whole nother hour because I, yeah. I keep looking at um, this, this one campaign and, and, and I'm just like, okay, you're pro you say you're progressive. I need an implementation strategy. I don't want talking points. I don't want ideas. I don't want theory. What is your implementation strategy? Because as a person of color, that tells me, have you thought about A, B, and C? Uh, if you just have an idea, you ain't thought about shit that's gonna, that, that has a potential to harm me. And that is what I tell, this is, this is the thing I tell you. I don't need to understand why you're, what harms you. All I need to know is that there's a potential for harm for me to change my, how I behave. If a potential harm does not change how I behave, then that's a problem for me. Yeah. And the only point, I mean, the only point in, the only way we get stuff done is by coalitions, you know, coalitions, trust coalitions of all kinds. And that is what I see fundamentally wrong with that campaign is it's all about them and having a revolution. You can't have a revolution by your damn self. <laughs> that's just not, you know, that's. No, a revolution by yourself, we've got heard of that. It's a career. <laughs> <laughs> this is not about your career. Exactly. You cannot have a revolution by yourself. This was great. Any any final words you'd like to share? Um, just um, just think about like yeah, to you know your viewers or whatever. When somebody's telling you a story, just think about where that story is coming from and what it assumes, and what the assumed ending of the story is, and who wins. Um, because our stories are powerful. You know, they are like architectural plans for our minds and for our emotions that combine them in an incredibly powerful way. And so. Damn, that's a, that's a great statement. Yeah. Okay. So instead of <laughs> us working for the stories, we sort of have to start thinking a bit harder about making the stories work for us. Damn. There you go. All right. All right. <laughs> On that note, we're going to say goodbye. <laughs> Pat, thank you for coming on the show and have a wonderful day. Cheers, Kim. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Cause the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Cause the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Cause the Scene community. Just visit the website at hashtagcausethescene.com to sign up today. 
On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.